Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It is uh, Monday, June 8th, as I speak here this morning. Uh, it's about mid-morning. Corn futures up just a little bit. Soybean futures down. Wheat futures a little bit lower. So kind of a mixed bag to start the week here. Uh, thank you again for joining me. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, go on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, whichever podcast app uh, that you have on your phone. And if you don't have one, you should find one and download it. Subscribe to Grain Markets and other stuff, and you will be alerted every time that new content is available. Uh, if you have time, uh, please leave me a review, especially on Apple. I could use some more reviews on Apple. Good, bad, ugly. Let me know what you think um, about the podcast. I would love to hear some constructive criticism. I'd love to hear some feedback from you. If you ever have any questions about anything I say here, um, shoot me an email to info at standardgrain.com. I would love to hear from you. I will respond uh, to you personally. And remember, if you do uh, need some help with your grain marketing, as always, visit my website. Go to uh, standardgrain.com. Click on Grain Marketing Plan. I put out a subscription service. It's $49 a month. It includes my morning email, which goes out at 630 Central uh, every business day, and then also a text message service. You will know when, how specifically I am pricing corn, soybeans, and wheat throughout the year. You'll know how I'm handling uh, things like carry in the market, uh, when to roll HTAs, basis decisions, all that sort of stuff is included, and uh, you can cancel that at any time. It's built to your credit card through PayPal. We've got it set up. Uh, so it's it's very easy to handle. But uh, today's conversation, how to handle a crop scare. Now, I don't know if a crop scare event happens this year or not, but we're going to kind of cover this uh, right at the start of, of really the weather market in, in the summer. And typically, if you're going to see one of these crop scares, it's it's usually around this time of year, you know, this period from early June early June through through mid or late July, depending on the year. And um, I want to talk about it in advance. Uh, and, and I don't know if a crop scare happens this year or not, but I figured I would cover this in advance of a potential, and it's just potential, uh, uh, weather event, crop scare event, whatever it is. We're going to talk about how to handle grain marketing specifically uh, in the midst of these sort of events, which we've seen over the last several years. We'll talk about uh, dates on the calendar. We'll talk about the uncertainty about production, what sort of crop you're going to have, all the problems you may experience during these crop scares. I wanted to cover a little bit of news uh, before we get going here. The first thing that I wrote down on, on my news page was recovery. And we've seen a recovery, uh, economically speaking. And, and when I say recovery, I'm kind of talking recovery from the virus or from the fallout of the virus. We've seen a recovery in a lot of things. Uh, the first thing to, to look at would be the real obvious one, and that's the stock market. The uh, S&P 500, which in, in my opinion is the best gauge of the U.S. stock market, it is only 5 or 6% from all-time highs as I speak here this morning. We've seen a rally in the S&P 500 of 46% from the low that was posted on March 23rd. It's really 
have been incredible. And a lot of this, I think, had to do with Fed stimulus. Um, a lot of it has to do with with the fact that you know we are seeing some some recovery. We're seeing um, some better economic activity. We had a jobs report last week, which was really phenomenal. Uh, the United States actually added two and a half million jobs in May. Analysts thought we had lost another eight million ahead of that report. So um, this recovery, is, as of right now, looks like it's happening quite a bit quicker than what a lot of people had expected. I, I think a lot of economists and, and just people in general thought that this thing would take a really long time. And if that jobs report is any indicator, um, this may happen a little bit quicker than, than what we had expected. And that's what we hope for uh, for so many reasons. The other one is the energy markets. You know, when the April WTI crude oil contract went off the board, we saw it trade into negative territory. That's something nobody's ever seen before. And now I sit here today, crude's lower today, but it's $38 a barrel. And and we've seen a very significant recovery. We've seen production cuts. We've seen some better demand. Um, and, and that is overall a good thing. And, and this all ties back to ethanol. And I've said probably on every episode that I've done the last three months that ethanol is, is the biggest problem for the corn market, the massive demand loss that we've seen for corn because of, of the ethanol industry and because people are driving less, because gasoline consumption is down. Um, if this economic recovery is real and uh, people are returning to work and things are going to start opening up in a, in a more broader fashion, uh, this is a good thing for ethanol. And we've now seen several consecutive weeks of improved ethanol production. I think it's four or five consecutive weeks. Now, the problem is that the, the recovery there has been slow in terms of actual production on the ethanol side. We are st still, as of last week, after all of those weeks of improvement, we're still grinding corn, I think, at 20, we're 27% below the pace seen a year ago. So we've got a lot of of work to do in terms of, of recovery in the ethanol uh, situation as far as corn demand goes. But it's, it's headed in the right direction. We've seen a big drawdown in stocks. Um, demand for ethanol is actually outpacing production for the moment, and that's a positive. So I think the recovery is happening there. It's not going to be as fast as like what you've seen in the stock market or what you've seen in crude oil futures, but I think that the recovery is, is happening. Now, are we going to get that demand back for corn, probably not. We've already lost a big chunk, and it and it hurts, and that's why corn is as cheap as it is right now. But um, it's it's there are some positives there certainly. Uh, in in the same breath here, the funds, uh, big money managers who I love to discuss here, they have been short the corn net short the corn market for forty two consecutive weeks. That's a record. They have not been long the corn market since August, and uh, we have never seen a streak this long where the funds went without a long position. Um, uh, since they since CFTC began their modern record keeping in I believe 2006, so this is kind of an unprecedented situation. Um, I did a Twitter poll a while back. I, I asked people if the funds would take a net long position in the corn market during the 2020 calendar year. I think the majority said no, and uh, they're looking pretty good as of right now because as of last Tuesday, the funds were short 286,000 contracts. That's a very big short position. Soybean exports have improved. Uh, we saw some sales to China recently. We saw some sales to unknown destinations, which may have been China uh, recently. Uh, the the big export activity has been out of Brazil. They have been selling uh, soybeans at a breakneck pace in the vast majority to China. And uh, the, the huge surge in soybean exports out of Brazil in April and May, year over year, it's kind of led some people to believe that Brazil could exhaust its soybean supplies earlier 
than it would in a normal year and that it could actually open a window for U.S. exporters maybe just a little bit earlier than it would in a normal year. And that would be a big, big positive. I, I don't know that we have a whole that we have a real good story for old crop soybean demand, but for new crop, I think you could, you could run into a situation here where Brazilian supplies become exhausted a little bit sooner and buyers like China and, and other global buyers, global importers, uh, they start to get a little bit more aggressive with us beans. And that's really what we need to see. That could go a long, long way. Uh, The last thing on my news item here was dry weather. And uh, this week, Looking at the weather maps, this week is not going to be dry. Not for most, well, in the east, you know, part Indiana, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, you're going to see not a ton of rain this week, but west and, and south, um, a band from Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, part of Nebraska, part of South Dakota. You see some significant rainfall here during the next seven days. It's, it's after that seven days that things look maybe a little bit more threatening. And I'm not going to say that this is a big weather issue or drought or anything that crazy at this point in time but both the 6 to 10 and the 4 8 to 14 day maps are indicating below normal precipitation uh, for most of the corn belt or all of the corn belt really you're going to see some heat in the west and, and cooler temps in the east but um that's a situation that we have to monitor and and a lot of that comes back to this conversation that I'm about to start here regarding crop scare events and what can happen how to handle them all right so i've got Four bullet points here on this crop scare event discussion. I'm going to run through them. I'm not going to take a ton of time doing this, but hopefully you'll have uh, kind of a better understanding of what a crop scare is, what are some of the problems it presents, what are some of the opportunities it presents, how to handle it as a grain marketer. So uh, my first bullet point, what is a crop scare event? A crop scare event occurs, and this is this is my definition. I don't know that there is a textbook definition, but a crop scare event occurs when a market rallies on production uncertainty, and that production uncertainty typically uh, typically arises from weather, uh, a weather forecast that appears threatening, uh, weather events that appear threatening or have been threatening, um, and it's it's when you get a market like the corn market or the soybean market to rally on a U.S. weather issue um, is kind of what I'm talking about specifically in this conversation. Now, they can happen uh, based on weather in other countries, too. We've seen crop scare events based on South American weather or on Russian weather as it relates to the wheat. So it doesn't have to just be uh, U.S. And, and corn and soybeans. But in this particular conversation, we're going to kind of focus on um, summer weather events uh uh, here in the U.S. in regard to the corn and soybean crops. That's what we're going to kind of focus on. Most of these events, when you see a dry forecast and the market rallies, you see a hot forecast in the market rallies, you see people talking about uh, weather patterns like ridges, uh, the dome of doom, that sort of thing, uh, hot and dry forecasts. Most of it doesn't come to fruition. Most of the time, uh, you'll you'll get this crop scare event, the market will rally off of it, and the crop ends up being okay. And the event may last a week, two weeks, three weeks. And, and eventually, in almost all cases, they, they fall apart. There are a few exceptions, um, but in a lot of cases, they fall apart. So most of them are just scares. They, most of them don't end up turning into major crop issues. I, I don't know that I could put a statistic on it, but I mean, if I had to, I'd say, 
you know, seven out of 10 times, it, it, they're really just, just kind of flash in the pan rallies and, and they, they go away as quickly as they came. But some of them do come to fruition. 2012, a great example of that. Uh, we had a, a crop scare and then a crop, crop, I could probably call it a crop failure, um, following that, but that's not really the rule. The rule is, is that was kind of the exception to the rule. The rule is more the opposite where you'll get your hot and dry forecast, or you'll get your, your rally based off a hot and dry forecast in the summer and the market's rad, but then it, it, the forecast changes, they put rain in, something happens and the crop ends up being okay. And that's kind of what happens normally. It's, it's not normal to see a total disaster like, um, like we saw in 2012. So when does a crop scare event occur? Um, in regard to just this conversation specifically, like I said, we're talking about the corn and soybean markets and, and the U.S. crop. So over the last several years, we've seen these crop scare events uh, occur in June and July most often. Now, 2019, last year, we saw this begin a little bit earlier because it was not necessarily related to summer weather, like a hot and dry forecast. The hot and dry thing is is your more typical uh, scenario. Last year was was kind of an oddball scenario where we had planting that was delayed uh, significantly, and um, the rally occurred sooner and topped out maybe just a little bit sooner than, than some of these weather rallies would. Now, they don't have to occur, even in regard to the U.S., these rallies don't have to occur just in June and July. I mean, last year was an example of that it started in May. Uh, we've seen crop scare events happen at harvest. You could run into a situation where early yield reports are bad, and we run into flooding, or you've got an early frost in the forecast. Something along those lines could happen in the fall. But but the very most typical, most commonly observed crop scare event when it comes to corn and soybeans is is probably a June-July time frame. Uh, a lot of the old timers at the Chicago Board of Trade, I remember their, their kind of rule of thumb was that you should be short the corn market by the 4th of July. And uh, that does not always apply. That's not a recommendation by any means. But uh, the, the idea was that the market would build some weather premium in and that, you know, once you see that forecast around that 4th of July, everybody comes back from the holiday. Unless it's really threatening, uh, we see some rain in the forecast, you know, pollination uh, uh weather looks okay for the the heart of the corn belt that's when things start to soften up and they start to take the uh weather premium out and and in a lot of years seasonally you'll sell off from from that early early to mid July time frame into harvest really so um you know that's kind of the way that this stuff has worked uh historically now every year is different um doesn't have to happen this year like i said i i have no idea if there will be a crop scare event this year we've had some sort of crop scare event it seems like just about every year going back five six seven years at least but uh, it does not have to happen i mean we could uh this this little bout of dry weather that i discussed uh earlier that is in the forecast these weather forecasts are always a subject to change this, the, the next gfs model as far as i know could throw a whole bunch of rain in the forecast two weeks out and this thing could could uh, uh, be over before it even started. So you're a farmer and uh, you've planted corn, you've planted soybeans, and we begin to rally because of a weather forecast or because of a weather issue. What happens to you and what can you do about it? Um, so what the first thing that happens, um, a lot of times the crop scare event may affect production on your farm. So maybe the first thing that occurs to you is that I may not have the bushels that I thought I was going to have to market. And that is is one thing that makes marketing, grain marketing during a crop scare event very, very difficult. Now, 
some of your best marketing opportunities, of course, can come during a crop scare event. In fact, that's kind of been the case for a while now, is that it takes a crop scare event to rally the market and and uh, present you with some good marketing opportunities. But it's very difficult to market during that sort of time because you have production uncertainty in your backyard. It makes it difficult. Uh, the second thing that happens is is probably just as important, if not more important, is shift in sentiment. First of all, nothing changes sentiment in a market like price. If we get a big rally in the corn market here, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. If we did, I guarantee you that sentiment would change. You would start to see bullish sentiment, whereas you have very little of that right now. And it doesn't matter why the market rallies. I mean, it, it just in any instance, when you get a rally in the market and, and say we've just rallied 50 cents to corn, you're going to have a lot more bullish sentiment, a lot more friendly sentiment than you do right now when, yeah, we're off the lows, but we're still kind of at, at unattractive prices. Um, so the sentiment changes and and it can really play games with you mentally from a marketing standpoint. You know, if your sentiment changes and all of a sudden you're bullish and you have these ideas that the yields aren't going to be there or the acreage isn't there or whatever it may be, or you start to hear analysts talking bullish talk and people on TV are talking about $5 corn. It, it makes it a little bit more difficult to market grain. So those the, the combination of those two things, production uncertainty, especially when it's in your backyard, on your farm, on bushels that you uh, need to market, paired with the shift in sentiment, not just in your head, but things that you hear everywhere, the media, online, social media, everywhere, um, the news, the radio, it, it gets in your head and it makes it difficult to sell grain. It, it really does. It, it, those two things, one, one of them is mental and one of them is, is, uh, is something that I can quantify a little bit more, but they're both issues that make grain marketing difficult. So my last point here is how to handle this. Um, I think what you can do ter- during a crop scare event, I think the first thing you should probably do is uh, don't even get into your head the idea that you will be able to pick a high in the market. Very, very rarely, maybe once or twice in your life, you'll get to sell the high of the market. And and I don't mean like the high tick. I mean, maybe within a nickel, nickel or dime of the high. Very rarely are you going to be able to do that. It's incredibly difficult to do. So I think that the first thing you should do is go back and look at your numbers, look at those spreadsheets that I've discussed, start to look at how things uh, uh, shape up on paper when it comes to margins, when it comes to break-evens, start shifting your yields around for different scenarios and, and see how you look in that regard. And and that may be the first thing to do, but, but, but don't think you're going to pick the high and start examining your numbers even more closely than you have been already. And I talked to you last week about how you should spend five minutes every day. When you get these rallies and you get into profitable territory, you need to start spending even more time because that's when the money's made, when those opportunities are there. Um, So how do you market it? I mean, obviously, so we want to be making sales during crop scare rallies. I think that that's probably the moral of the story. But how do you do it? Because you don't know what your production is going to be. I think you can forward price, um, you know, using an HTA contract or a cash contract, whatever you, whatever your preferred method is, you can forward price to a comfortable level and you don't want to get into, you never want to get into the situation where you've over-contracted grain. You don't want to be in that situation. So when it comes to the cash side, I think that you can do, 
you can do some forward sales, you can do HTAs, you can do cash or whatever you need to do. Um, but you don't want to get to a point where you're not certain that you can fill those contracts. You want to be able to fill those contracts. That's, that's number one. Um, secondly, I think that this is where futures and options in particular can come into play. And I've said on the show that I don't believe you need to be a futures and options trader to be a good grain marketer. And that I believe that to be the truth. I think you can be a very good grain marketer without trading futures and options. I think that's very possible. But in this situation, futures and options are a very nice tool to have in your toolbox because when it comes to futures and options, you have a lot of flexibility. If you sell a futures contract and uh, you don't produce those bushels, you can get out of the futures contract um, without having to deal with a, a commitment that you've made to a cash buyer. Now, granted, you may be taking a loss on the futures contract, but you don't have that that liability to the grain buyer. Um, options are a great tool. Uh, spending money on a put option outright is not something that I'm typically a big fan of, but take 2019 as an example. If you would have bought, I mean, just about any put option uh, in, in 2019 on that rally, when, when December corn got up to 470, uh, you would have been looking okay. You would have at least set a floor that, that would have looked a lot better than, than what you saw in, in the, uh, months following. So I think that that fle- the flexibility that comes with futures and options is a really nice thing to kind of have in your toolbox during a crop scare event, because you'd like to get as much sold as you can, I think in, in the majority of these situations, but at the same time, you don't want to be on the hook for the physical bushels if you are uncertain about production. So I think you can forward price um, up to a level of comfort. And then I think that there is a place uh, here for futures and options um, to provide you with the flexibility on any additional pricing. Um, the futures contracts, I, I understand that there's a lot of risk that goes with this. And, and there is risk in trading futures and options. Um, because if you sell those contracts and you can't fill them, you may be on the hook for the difference. And, and the market, corn and soybean market, could be a dollar above where you sold those futures or more than that. The, the, the risk of loss is unlimited there. But it does provide you flexibility, whereas a lot of the cash contracts um, really don't. So uh, before you get involved in any of that, whether it's buying an option or selling futures, just make sure you fully understand the risks involved. There's unlimited risk of loss in selling a futures contract. Um, There's risk of loss in options, but be aware that those are tools that provide flexibility in these crop scare markets. So as we sit here this year, it's June 8th. I mean, typically the, the next six weeks probably six to six weeks, maybe a little bit longer than that when it comes to soybeans. But this is like prime time crop scare season. If you're going to get your, your typical run of the mill crop scare event, it's probably going to happen sometime mid to late June into early July. And in a lot of years, that's been your best marketing opportunity. Now there have been years that I've seen also where things do totally the opposite of what they normally do. And we rally into harvest on bad yields, um, or, in this instance, you know, say the economy really starts to pick up steam and recover and we really start grinding corn for ethanol uh, come September, October. You could see a totally contra-seasonal year. That's possible. But I'm just talking right now about 
a crop scare event in particular, a weather event, a weather scare, um, whatever you want to call it. Just keep in mind that most of these things don't come to fruition. 2012 is like the example that I can look to and say that's when we actually went from a crop scare to a crop disaster. But that's not typically what happens. That's typically not what happens. And remember, even in 2012, when we had the the big biggest crop disaster in, in my career, at least, and, and a lot of you have probably been doing this a lot longer than me, um, the market topped in August. It topped on on uh, WASD report day on August, probably August 10th or thereabouts uh, in 2012. So even when you have the disaster, the market's not going to rally clear through harvest. I mean, in 2012, we topped out in August. We traded $8.50 on report day when they dropped the yield down to 120-something, and market pretty much sold off from there. There's a lot of volatility. But even, even in the years where the crop scare events turn into actual crop failures or disasters, um, the market does not have to continue to rally. In fact, that's like 2012. Like I said, it was it was early to mid-August that, that we topped that market out. I hope this information was useful. If there is something that I left out, uh, feel free to email me. Just shoot me an email to info at standardgrain.com. I'd love to hear from you, see uh, what you have to say about this. But just I, I think the two big take-homes, for, for me at least, kind of reading back through what I wrote here, is that you've got to be aware of, of what's going on around you when it happens. I think that be aware that that production uncertainty is going to be an obstacle when it comes to marketing, and be aware that that shift in sentiment, and I guarantee you there will be a shift in sentiment if you see a significant crop scare event, those are going to be your two obstacles when it comes to grain marketing. And you've got to somehow see your way. You've got to know that those obstacles exist and somehow work your way around them. And that's the trick. Those those two things, production uncertainty paired with the shift in sentiment, those are your two obstacles if a crop scare event were to occur this year or any other year. Thank you again for listening. If you'd like some more information on what I do, go to my website at standardgrain.com. If you want to know when, how, and specifically I am pricing grain, sign up for that subscription service. It's 49 bucks a month, built through PayPal. You sign up once and you can cancel it at any time. Um, you'll know uh, exactly what I'm doing every single day. Everyone have a great week. Um, catch you later.